first of all, welcome to our new uh, podcast. Thanks, Fiona. And thanks Delighted for, to be here. for being here. Thanks for having me on. You were very interesting to me because if anyone was to Google, you will say they'd know you're, you know, from Cork. They'd know you went to UCC. They'd know you were on the, the county council for a while. They'd know, obviously, that you're the Minister for Public Expenditure. But honestly, I really couldn't find out a whole pile more about you. And I and I I'm curious. I'm just I'm curious to know how you get from A to B on a day because you have seven children. Is that correct? <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Seven children. To have a role that you do and to manage a home life like that. What is the juggle like? Uh, life is busy and um, Sarah and myself have seven kids, as you said. They range from six up to 20 uh, and uh, a number of a uh, number of teenagers are uh, coming to be teenagers soon. So it, it is very, very busy. And between juggling work and family, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for anything else, to be honest with you. But um, but they're great. And look, you know, I try to spend as much time as I possibly can uh, with the kids and doing all their activities with them and being there on the sidelines with them for their matches and, and their training. I think it's so important. I'm really conscious that these years will fly by when they are young and uh, they won't always want you at uh, at their side. But at that age, they do. And I enjoy it. I, I get great sense of relaxation from it as well, to be honest. That's how I unwind. And um, so I'm away typically from Monday to, to Thursday evening. Uh, so, you know, when I am around, then I, I just try to be there as much as I can. But to them, your dad, to, to all of us, you're the minister. And, you know, we look towards you for direction on a number of issues. But to them, your dad, is that a very hard, it's hard to distinguish yourself sometimes with the two and to juggle the priorities. You, you said you have a, a six-year-old, is it? Yeah, that's right. Kate is the youngest. Kate yeah. and her issues are just as important to you as, you know, the upcoming budget will say. How do you juggle that? How do you find time to, you know, take on board her little worries, we'll say, and then the worries of the country? I think uh, when you're there, you need to try to be really there, you know, and not allow yourself to get distracted um, because of the fact that I am away for, you know, say four days in the week. You know, I'm not there those days and, you know, you, you, you talk to them as much as you can and so on, but you're not there. And then when you are there, you just need to try insofar as possible to give them your full attention and uh, and get the most out of that time. Because I remember when I was first elected in 2007 to the Dáil, um, like we had uh, we had two, two boys at that stage. Uh, Jack, who was five, and David, who had only just been born a few months earlier. And I remember the early weeks uh, in Dublin as a TD, you know, feeling quite lonely, to be honest, and missing them terribly and questioning, God, what have, you know, what have I got into? What have I signed up to? And saying, I don't really want to be away. But, you know, as time goes by, you you learn to um to manage you learn to live with it and i also love my job so there's a real pull factor there as well and i think i found a balance is it the right balance look it's a work in progress i'm not sure you can ever get it right and uh Having seven children nowadays is pretty exceptional uh, and, you know, but Sarah is absolutely fantastic um, and uh, she works full time as well. Uh, so it's uh, it's not easy. And, uh, and then we rely on, on family quite a lot uh, to help us, in particular her mum, who, who is superb. You know, you say that and it's so like everyone else, but I think to a lot of people, they would think, oh, no, you know, that you have a wife that must be at home all the time or that you have help or whatever but like everyone else in the country you rely on family for that help so that's you know that's a very normal aspect of life really isn't it yeah it is and um but you know ki kids are resilient uh, and they are adaptable and you know they they're quite independent too and uh, they want you there and you know they want to share things with you and they do want to tell you their stories and to show you their achievements and maybe share or sometimes hide their disappointments. But um, I think it's important just to, to talk, just to listen, to sit down, to chat with them, turn everything off, put away the phones. It's hard in, in my job because, you know, you, you are always on to some extent. And then we have the social media world now as well. And, you know, you'd be well advised just not to look at that for, for certain hours of the day, to be honest with you, um, because it can be pretty cutting. Uh, and you, you, 
you know, something like that can really affect your, your, your personal time then. You know, if you start kind of browsing on a Saturday night or whatever, if you're relaxing at home, you could, could see something quite hurtful or negative and it could put you in bad form. It's not fair and everybody else around you because that's their time with you. So you just try and you try and keep a, a separation as best you can. And how do your um, kids manage that in terms of like their dad is the Minister for Public Expenditure. Their dad is always on the telly. Their dad, you know, you are side by side with the leaders of our country all the time. You are one of the leaders of our country. How you know, how do, how do they manage that and how do how do they cope with the social media aspect of that? Because as you said, you know, you could there's always going to be something negative, even if it's the most positive um, announcement you're at or the most positive story. There will always be negative. There will always be those yeah. hurtful comments that for some reason social media seems to bring out in people. The oldest boy is 20, so obviously he's, you know, very much um, active on, on social media and would would see things for sure. But um, he doesn't really bring it up. I think he he accepts it's it's just part of the, the job I have and it comes with the territory, unfortunately. Look, uh, the vast, vast majority of people are are really kind um very positive. You know, I think everybody who's on social media who has any degree of profile is going to get harassment and, and abuse. And, you know, I, I don't know what kind of people do that. Um, they're generally faceless, uh, anonymous people generally. Um, but look, it is what it is. You know, you just have to get on with it and not 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 allow that to wear yourself down. But the younger uh, the younger kids, um, I think they take pride in the work that I do and you know, they recognize that it is an important job, um, but they don't go on about it. You know, when I'm when I'm there, I'm dad and they're 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 looking for the same things uh, as every other kid. And you've got the same chats and tensions and, you know, but you're, you're trying to be a parent uh, and uh, you want to be their friend. But first and foremost, you are their parent. And I think you just try and build a good relationship with them where they feel that they can talk, that they can say anything, that they can share their problems. That's certainly the culture we try uh, to create and encourage is a very open uh, culture with our children and that they they that they feel comfortable enough to share something with you because, um, you know, their, their life can be complicated too. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so... You it is harder keep, to keep be a it. child today and a teenager, I think, particularly is, today. Yeah. I was just going yeah. to say, it's probably easier for you sometimes to deal with, you know, bruising matters in the doll than it is to deal with, you know, some of the issues that children have today and teenagers have today. It probably is an easier balance sometimes, is it? Yeah, look, when you have seven children, you know, you're going to be dealing with issues uh, all the time that uh, that make their way into your home. Uh, but, you know, touch wood, we've been really lucky. Um, they're all they're all healthy. They're great kids. You know, at the end of the day, that is all that matters. And I, I sincerely mean that, you know, you, you learn through life and through the ups and downs and, and through loss. And we've all lost people, family, friends that I think and COVID, I think, definitely has given us all a renewed sense of, of what is important and a sense of appreciation for the simple things in life. So that's why I, you know, I take take my job really seriously and I work very hard. Um, but in relation to like planning ahead and, you know, saying, oh, I want to achieve this and I want to achieve that, you know, I, I'd be a little bit more easygoing about all that now because I think life just gives you that sense of enjoy the moment. I'm delighted to be in the position I'm in. It's a fantastic job, huge responsibility and steep learning curve. But to be there and to have an influence and to be able to, to do things um, is, um, is, is, is a great privilege and I really enjoy it. What about your wife, Sarah? How did you meet her? So I always say we fell in love over an audit file. We uh, <laughs> we we trained as accountants together uh, in KPMG here in the city. Uh, so uh, she was actually my my boss on a few a few jobs, a few audits. So um, yeah, so I met uh, met Sarah in in KPMG at work, and uh, it took a while for the the flame to light up. But right, it did. as it does, uh, yeah, yeah. It took a while. Well, maybe it took a while for her to come around to it, maybe. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I mean, she's she's great. She's super organised, um, a brilliant mum, uh, and uh, you know, I'm in awe really at how how she manages uh, when I am away, in particular. You know, when I'm there, I'm hands on. I get stuck in, but 
and I'm not. I'm useless, and that's that's the way it is. And I suppose when when you first met, that was it on the agenda uh, for you, uh, a life in politics, or um, it, uh, it 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 would have been in in the background. Yeah, I think she probably can't say she didn't know what she was getting into. In some ways, I was. Um, I was a, a local town councillor, um, so I started out quite young. So during my time in, in KPMG, about uh, two years into it, I stood for my first public election in Passage West in Monkstown, where I grew up. Uh, it was There was a town commission, as it was called then. They're all abolished now, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, shortly before we started dating, I was elected to that. So I think she knew that, you know, it was... Uh, this was something that was going to be here for quite a while, uh, all going well, and that that's how it has, has transpired. So you kind of grew together in that career path, you know, in, in that sort of the yeah, we winding took, road. Yeah, we took the steps together, you know, so we, we both qualified there in KPMG. I went on to work with Red FM as financial controller, I spent two years there in uh, the startup phase and then the early uh, the early years of it um, of it being um, being a live station fantastic experience um, working with great people super investors as well then I moved to UCC because a, a really great job came up in UCC in uh, the finance office head of MIS and I, I did that for a couple of years but politics was really developing in parallel and I got elected to Cork County Council which was a big step up from the town council and the meetings were during the day and around 2005 I just took the view and I mean this is to Sarah's great credit she supported it I took the view I couldn't do the two and I gave up the job and I didn't have another job to go to I left a you know secure uh, job in the public sector that was well paid and I walked away and uh, she fully supported me even though we had you know young family at the time and I, I did some part-time work then for about another year and a half until um, I went full-time in the lead-up to the general election in 2007, my first election. But when I look back at it now, that was a huge risk to take, you know. Yeah. Uh, and maybe I was with this, with kind of family naive and, and, and idealistic. Um, I've absolutely no regrets uh, because it all worked out. But if it didn't work <laughs> out, maybe I would have regrets. Um, but it, it was a big moment. Uh, it was a big moment for us as a family. Uh, to, to leave a good, really good job, a great employer and uh, and roll the dice. But I did it because I loved what I was trying to get into. And um, I love politics, it. I love public service and I get great enjoyment and satisfaction from it. And thankfully I had some luck. And while you, in politics you have to work hard to progress, you also need luck. And it can be a cruel business, you know, no matter how hard you work or how good you are if the tide is out sometimes for your party um you know the right game, place, the game right is time. up and that's yeah. it yeah so I, i'm very very kind of understanding of that as well at this stage yeah what would sarah say is the most difficult thing about living with you um, well, sometimes she would say, you know, it's like living in a, a, in a in a goldfish bowl that you're in the public eye constantly and, you know, everywhere you go and everything you do is potentially, you know, and I'm not overplaying it, but, you know, you are a public figure and you just have to bear that in mind. Like, I, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I kind of forget about it, to be honest, when I'm going about my day to day life, I am what I am and I act the way, the way I want to act. And, um, but yeah, I think for, for a politician's partner, you know, you are asking a lot of them. They didn't choose public life. You know, she would be perfectly happy, you know, to be a fully private citizen, uh, married to a private citizen. So you are asking, uh, your partner to share a lot of, their life uh, in public okay. and to sacrifice privacy um, but it comes with the territory you know and in how you manage social media and how you manage media generally you know you do have to decide how much am I going to share okay. uh, and that's why when you say you were looking up you couldn't find a whole lot you know and we do share some things but not a huge pile I think you have to try and keep By private and large, as well you and like you bear in mind if you're, your children as well you know in time they might say, well, look, you know, we, we didn't want to be shared or we didn't want to be out there publicly. We want to be fully private. So y you just have to try and get the balance right. I think you have to share some things and you have to give you have to give a little uh, and because people do want to know, 
your backstory and what you're like as a person and what um you know what your family um is like i think people want to know that which is perfectly understandable but you have to try and protect them as well and safeguard some of their privacy so it's a constant um tightrope and i'm not sure whether we get the balance right or not but they're happy enough anyway at the moment okay and why fianna fall um so that goes back to, I think, my upbringing, really. My parents were not political. They were not involved in politics or were not members of any party. They would have generally voted for Fianna Fáil because they would have known the 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 representatives. My mum was from Toker. She would have known John Dennehy, uh, for example. Bad O'Keefe would have been very active in our area. Michal Martin was, was very much there, though he was more city-based. He was a TD in our area uh, as well when I was growing up. And... Um, so they would generally have voted Fianna Fáil. And I suppose we came from, you know, quite a, a humble working class background. Um, so I would have been born, my family would have been living in this city in Greenmount, top of Barrack Street when I was born. And when I was about three or four, uh, we moved down to Passage West and uh, they were very fortunate. They got a local authority house um, from Cork County Council. And uh, we, we spent some great years there in Ardmore State and Passage West, fantastic upbringing. Um, but I think the people that we could relate with uh, in politics and the people who were the most active in the community for me were, were the Fianna Fáil representatives and I, I just felt that we could relate with them more. I think they were, um, yeah, you know, they were very active and certainly took an interest in representing the community I came from. And uh, for me, that was that was a, a, a decisive factor. And your brother as well is in political life too. So there must have been an interest and a passion and a, a sort of a drive for change when you were growing up. I suppose a social awareness. Yeah, I think we had a real sense of, of social justice. You know, we we didn't have much money, but we were always given uh, a sense of understanding what's going on in the world. You know, the news would always be on. There would be a newspaper lying around. My dad would take us to school and Morning Ireland would be on. So there was there was that um, feeling that, you know, there is a, a bigger world out there and it, it was encouraged to take an interest in the world around you. And I, I, I loved history in school. I had a great history teacher in secondary school, uh, Mrs. Quill, Dipna Quill, uh, who I think is a lot to answer for as well uh, in relation <laughs> to my interest in politics, but a great teacher. So I loved Irish history and took an interest in current affairs and that would have been encouraged but not 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 pushed my parents weren't political and you know they would never have suggested to go into politics or anything like that it it did just come from myself to be honest and um i just had always had that feeling that i was a little different that i wanted to do something different and i always took a great interest in in the community what was going on around us you know why were things they were the way they were you know should we be doing better were there things that we should be getting as a community we weren't getting? How were decisions made? The big decisions, how were they made? So I just always had that overall sense of, of understanding how Ireland worked and and wanting then to have an influence and wanting to make change. And I think coming from where we came from and our background, that sense of social justice uh, was a driving force for me personally. Okay. And um, uh, and that's why I, I, that's why I chose Fianna Fáil. 2011 was a tough year at the polls for the party. You took on the role as spokesman for public expenditure in 2011. Yeah, so Brian Lenehan died yeah. uh, in uh, in June of 2011. So the, the build-up to that election, of course, was the, the Troika coming to Ireland, the collapse of the economy and the global financial crisis. And it was meltdown, really, politically for, for Fianna Fáil in that election uh, in early 2011. And I knew I was in the fight of my life to hold on and to win a seat. It was a five-seater at the time. Michal Martin had just become party leader. Uh, Brian Cowan uh, had resigned. Michal became the leader in the and was obviously a constituency colleague. And I was under enormous pressure. And I took the fifth and final seat uh, in that election. And I think it was just sheer graft and hard work that, that I had done over the, the years building up to that, uh, that... Um, people backed me and I remember seeing you know the tallies uh, as you've covered elections I'm sure and all the early tallies were predicting my seat was gone I was on three four percent yes yeah. but then some of the last boxes to come in were my home boxes of Passage West uh, Monkstown 
Carrigaline and uh, even Douglas and great support came in. That and must be got such. Me over the line. But I, uh, there were, uh, certainly from much of that day of the election count in early 2011, um, I thought it was gone. I thought it was gone. The level of emotion. And I obviously I've been in the count centres. I've yeah. seen the emotion. But to go from I think I'm gone to people uh, and people in my area, they, they backed me. Oh, yeah. You must feel such um, a responsibility to those people then to deliver to you. Absolutely. Massively indebted because it was like the tallies are being done, you know, huge percent of the box of the boxes tallied and generally it doesn't change then that much. No. Um, but then the it's local unusual. boxes opened and there was a surge and I just felt such uh, gratitude that the people had remained loyal and supportive, even though we were not popular, anything but. It was a brutal election campaign and I was getting, you know, 35, 40, 40 percent of the poll in in my own area. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I, I, I'll forever be grateful uh, to people for for doing that and for for allowing me to continue. And then it's just Brian unfortunately died uh, of pancreatic cancer in June 2011. And Mihal then um, made me uh, the, the, the party spokesperson on finance then shortly afterwards. Um, so I spent nine years then in effect. I responded to nine budgets from opposition and uh, thankfully got re-elected in, in 2016. And uh, we had confidence in supply for, for four years. So yeah, I responded to nine budgets, but it was always marking the, the finance portfolio. And then after the election in 2020, four months later, government was formed and uh, the, the way the numbers added up, um, Michal asked me to serve as public expenditure reform minister, which was a great privilege. And uh, I'm doing that now since June 2020. Which do you prefer in terms of work, finance or expenditure? Which do you find is more? Well, they are inextricably linked. They yeah. are different in that the finance portfolio I suppose has the, the, the overall responsibility for the public finances and for the Irish economy. And then finance will also manage the external relationships, the, the European Group of Finance Ministers, ECOFIN, Eurogroup relationships with the IMF and so on like that. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, deeper, as we call it, my own Department of Public Expenditure Reform is very much domestically focused. It is down in the engine room. All of the day-to-day -day contact with all of the other government departments is with deeper and so we manage all of the expenditure side the the national development plan public service pay the whole reform agenda very little if anything can happen in government without it going through deeper so it's a fantastic uh learning curve and um and pascal dunne who and i work hand in glove we work very closely he shares you know uh, his own challenges and issues with me and i draw on his experience because he previously served uh, in my role, um, but I okay. would certainly in, in the future love the opportunity to serve in, in finance and, and hopefully that opportunity will arise. There is a lot going on in the world at the moment and a lot going on in Ireland. What would you change if you could, if I gave you a magic wand now, what, what would you like to change? Well, right now it's cost of living is a massive problem and the government, you know, without going into the, the politics of it all, we did we did in the budget seek to address that and then in, in recent times with the additional package uh, that we have rolled out but the sands are shifting constantly um, the war in Ukraine the um, global supply chain problems the bounce back in the global economy since COVID has created huge problems and we're, we're seeing it at, um, at the petrol pump uh, we're seeing it in domestic energy bills and I think there is an expectation now that we're going to have to go further again as a government and we will. So that issue is is live right now and it's hurting people. We know it's hurting people. Um, there are people who, you know, are really struggling to pay the bills and to heat their home and to pay for the fuel for their car. Um, so the government is going to have to respond to that. Um, so that that's an immediate issue. That apart, um, housing is uh, is a massive challenge and we need to build far more homes. Uh, we need affordable housing uh, to come on stream. It's it's going to start now shortly to come on stream, um, but we need a lot of it. We need it quickly. We need private supply. We need cost rental. And thankfully, we are seeing social housing getting built now again in, in significant numbers, close to 10,000 a year. So I think we, 
we're making huge progress on the social housing front. Affordable, I think, is a work in progress and we've we've a way to go yet on that. It must be frustrating to try and address these issues in a budget and like you can't please everyone. Not everyone is always happy. Is that frustrating? Is that do you find that a source of disappointment nearly that you're trying to address all the issues while also bearing in mind that you can't yeah. keep giving away and giving away and giving exactly, away because yeah. where yeah. does it stop I mean you know when we looked at COVID there was huge support and it was amazing yeah. but everybody everybody on the street used to say when's it going to stop though and how are we paying for this yeah. and are we going to pay for this down the line or what's happening here well I think when you're in politics you have to understand that for any person you're talking to the problem that they're dealing with today is for them the biggest problem. It's the biggest problem in, in their world. And so you have to understand that and do your best to help them and to meet that need if it's possible. But you can't do everything. You're right. I mean, if a government was just constantly chasing popularity and throwing money at every issue, it would get out of hand very quickly and we'd end up back in trouble. And, you know, I was there during those years when all of the emergency budgets had to be brought in by, you know, the Brian Cowan, Brian Lenehan government, and then subsequently the austerity that had to be implemented by the Fine Gael Labour government. And we can never go back there. And that means we have to manage the public finances responsibly. And that means we can't do everything. We can't give everybody everything they want. And that's why, you know, parties that claim that they can do that are just not being truthful with people. So, Pascal and I in particular have a job at the centre of government to, um, yes, respond to issues that arise and try and plan properly for the future, but to make sure that the overall um, management of the public finances um, remains strong and that we put the country into a safe place. And I think we're doing that like we had massive spend on COVID, over 30 billion euro of direct spend and, you know, but we're seeing a very strong recovery in the economy. The deficit far, far lower than we would have projected. We can see our way out of this, but if we try to meet every need and throw billions here and billions there, uh, it's not sustainable. It's your kids and my kids and, and, and okay. our listeners' kids who will end up paying, and that's not fair either. That was a huge spend in COVID, and there's obviously contingency planning going on in the background and worst-case scenario planning. And then this situation with the Ukraine happens and we're all wondering, obviously we're all heartbroken for what's going on over there. Yeah. But in your role, you have to look at, well, how is this going to affect the pocket of the Irish person? And, yeah. you know, given the amount of spend that there has been on COVID, is the government worried about that? Is the government worried about the recovery that we were seeing at the start of the year? So we so we, we we've come through COVID uh, and look it's not over but we're in a much much better place and I think the uh, economy was and is recovering quickly and the public finances also are recovering quickly so if this awful war hadn't happened uh, I was very confident that you know we're we're going the right direction now now this terrible war has happened this invasion of Ukraine and. Nobody knows for sure where this is going to end up. Look, our first priority is to do everything we possibly can to look after the Ukrainian people. And we're, we are throwing open our doors. Of course, there will be more money to be spent. There will be expenditure um, to cater for people, to accommodate them, to give them an education, provide health care. But we'll do it. It has to be done. And it's manageable. It's manageable in the overall scheme of things. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that we then can't do everything else we would like to do. Possibly, but that's something we'll assess uh, as we go along. Um, for Irish people, first of all, their response has been remarkable. Their generosity and their goodwill and their willingness to to help, and you know, we thank people for that. Um, we are seeing, you know, the direct result now of of energy prices going up further, um, and uh, and oil, diesel, petrol, etc. And people are are unfortunately bearing the brunt of that, but the government is going to respond uh, to that issue, uh, and we could well see prices generally increasing. We could see 
you know, a shortage of certain foods. Uh, we know the amount of wheat and grain that comes from Ukraine and Russia, for example. The sanctions imposed on Russia are, are unprecedented. They will have an impact. It's not only Russia that is going to be hurt. Uh, we are all going to be hurt as a result of those uh, sanctions because of how interconnected the global economy is. But we have to do it. We ha like, we're not getting involved militarily, uh, so we have to use the powers we have to send a message to them that this is just not acceptable. We're all worried about that, but there's also worried <coughs> worry about Liv Ragger recently that we can't keep relying on the US and the UK to come to our aid should anything yeah. happen and our new our neutrality, <coughs> the funding of our our own defences. Yeah. Is that a whole other area that's being considered by government? Are it's, we worried? It's not being actively considered. It, it is a huge question. I mean, look, we're not in NATO. We're not in any uh, defence alliance, uh, neither was Ukraine. And while Ukraine has allies, it wasn't enough to save it. You know, no one came to Ukraine's military rescue. And, you know, we kind of assume that if anything so terrible happened to Ireland, if we were invaded, um, that our friends in the United States, uh, our neighbours in the UK would come to our assistance. But we're not in a defence alliance. We're not in a military pact. So there's no certainty of that. Now, I think we take a certain amount of comfort from our geographic location. You know, we're on the western fringe of, of Europe, an island nation. Uh, we're generally as far away from um, these conflicts uh, as is possible. But that can give a false sense of security. But like joining a military pact is an enormous step. Well, first of all, it's only one that the Irish people could make. And it would have real consequences in terms of the budget. You know, NATO, for example, um, require their member states to spend 2% of economic output on defence. For Ireland, that means many billions more being spent on defence than we currently are spending. That means less money for healthcare, for education. So there are really big questions that need to be answered. Um, I think by the European Union as well, um, like they, they are providing arms to, to Ukraine. We stepped out of that and we are providing money uh, to Ukraine for for equipment and uh, non-lethal equipment for medicines and so on. Um, but we have seen the European Union step over the line in relation to the Ukrainian conflict by providing military uh, lethal weapons to Ukraine. So I, I, I don't see the Irish people giving up our, our neutrality status. I think it does give us real clout and real power at a diplomatic level in the world. And realistically, you know, for us to scale up to a significant degree in military terms, um, you know, how significant the contribution would it ever be militarily? You'd have to spend many billions of euro of your annual budget and I'm not sure that the people would want that to be prioritised ahead of healthcare and education and housing and so on and childcare. Um, I don't think we're even close to that decision. You mentioned childcare there and I'm going to ask you a little bit about that because I've spoken to a lot of um, women in, in, in very, very senior management roles in recent weeks yeah. about the struggles in gender parity and closing that gender gap and a, and a lot of them have told me it's very simple. When you get to a certain age, late 30s, 40s, the yeah. decision generally and by and large, not all the time, but by and large, lands on the woman to take a couple of years out because <gasps> childcare is just, it's just yeah. too expensive. It doesn't make sense for a lot of people to be literally working to, to pay a crash. Yeah. Is that ever going to be addressed? It is. We took a very decisive step in the last budget. It's only a start. But the first thing we need to do is to look after the people working in the sector. Uh, they are highly qualified, very dedicated, uh, committed staff. But at the moment, I think if we're to be honest about it, it's not an attractive career option for very many people. You know, people educated to, to level eight, even level nine standard on very, very modest wages. So there's now a process in place. A joint Labour Committee has been set up. Um, involving the employers and the trade unions uh, to agree on, a, on essentially a new wage structure for childcare workers and the government is underpinning that with a lot of extra funding over 200 million euro in a full year. So that's a step change. That's the first thing because it is connected with the avail availability of places. If the providers can't get the staff, then they can't provide the places. So we have to fix that first and bring some uh, stability into the system overall. And then we have a national childcare scheme and we are now also 
starting the process of putting more more money into that. The universal subsidy that's there, it's modest, but it's there for children up to the ECCE years. Uh, that's now going to be extended from September to children up to the age of 15. So you will find uh, this government in the next three years, in my view, prioritising childcare um, because it is an economic issue. It's, but it's a societal issue as well. And if we want to enable women uh, to play a full and active part in the workforce, if that is their choice, and for many, you know, it's a necessity, then uh, we have to deal with the childcare issue. And what we started, I think, is, is very significant and will make a difference. Are these issues issues that would have been addressed a lot sooner had there been more women in politics, do you think? I think so, to be frank about it, yeah. And I think we have a real job of work to do uh, to make politics attractive for women. Um, politics can be very hostile and, you know, people see the argy-bargy and the doll and it's not a great look. It's not attractive, I think, not just for women, but for many men as well. Um, but I think in particular, a lot of women don't like that um, kind of aggression and, and hostility that is there. And then just the lifestyle and the working hours and, you know, we... We need to be more imaginative. You know, we're in the doll there and we're working. Typically now we're there, you know, voting at 10, 11 o'clock at night, very often even later than that. Now, I don't mind because I'm up there anyway. But like if you're a young mother and uh, and you are able to travel home, if you live, you know, within commuting distance of, of the doll, like that's that's a huge turn off. And there's a the gender quote is going to 40 percent at the next general election. So 40% of the candidates for each party must be female. And um, like we can't approach that as a box ticking exercise by just adding women at the last minute to tickets to meet the 40%. Um, but it's like politics is a, is a hard enough life at the best of times, but we're not making it any easier with, I think, the way we do our politics. We all see, you mentioned Argy Bargy, and I'm very cu curious about this. You can be really cutting at leaders' questions and in the doll, and then you leave, what's it really like? Then you leave the, the doll and what happens? What happens when you meet them in the hall or in the canteen? You know, opposition um, colleagues will say, how, do, how does that work? It varies. You know, you, you would build up some uh, good personal relationships, uh, but the, the, the frostiness... Uh, can continue. Now, look, it's business. People see it as business uh, and it's not that they're, you know, heckling each other in the corridors of the doll. But, you know, it, you can see where there's real bite and uh, anger in the doll. Like when outside the, the, of the chamber, you know, the people who would be having that level of hostility, they're not having lovely warm chats outside either, you know. But as, look, I steer clear of it as best I can. I think... People don't like to see that kind of aggression and hostility. I think it's pointless. We're sent up there. It's a huge privilege to be sent up there to do a job. Now, look, the opposition will try and rise you, and that, they see that as their job. Uh, they're not there to clap the government on the back. They're there to have a go at you and pick holes on what you're doing. And uh, But I, I, I think we have to keep our cool and just deal with the issues uh, as best we can. Has there ever been a time where you just can't let it go when you get outside? You just can't let it go? You had to... You had to say it. You had to bring it up again. It spilled outside the, the chamber. No. No? No. No. And does that happen? Yeah, it, do, it does. But it's rare enough. Okay. You know, people, I think, see it as business inside in the chamber. They see that they have a job to do. They do it uh, and generally leave it, leave it behind them when they, when they go out. But it's a competitive business. We're under no illusions. When you're in government, the job of the people sitting across the way is to get you out of government. So they're not going to be fair. They're not going to stand up and say, look, we think you did this well, but you could do this a little bit better. They're going to have a right go at you from the beginning. But that's their job. Uh, so and when you're in government, then, you know, you have to defend yourself and you have to set out your position and what you're doing as a government. But you, they're not your friends. You can't be under any illusions. Their job is to get you out of government. And, um, you know, you just have to remember that. So it's a tough business. And I don't like that rancor. I, you know, I, I don't like conflict. Um, and that's certainly one of the least attractive parts of politics to me. It's become um, one of the most attractive parts of politics from a social media perspective, though. We get to see these, you know, clips that are satirised then, um, highly satirised. Yeah, that's Is that what annoying? travels. That's what travels, yeah. yeah. Whereas somebody asking, you know, really smart question or having their homework done, 
um, doesn't really get the pick up. You know, it, it's the, as you say, it's the moment. It's that that eye-catching, you know, moment that tends to travel. But look, you you got you to gotta play the long game. And uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, the vast majority of the general public are very fair-minded and they do recognise people who take their job seriously and who work hard. And I think they reward that. So uh, I'm not into short-termism like that. Um, it's just not my approach. I wouldn't be good at it anyway. We all have our work buddies and our... And you are in a, you are in a workplace. You are doing a job. Um, it is your, your career. Who's your who's your work buddy? Who's that? Who's the person you'd, you know, at the end of a long day, you might unravel to a little bit? Who's Who would that be in your party for you? Oh, well... Yeah, you do build friendships. I mean, I came into the doll in 2007 and some colleagues are, are there since then. You know, people like Thomas Byrne, for example, would be uh, a good personal friend. And so he's based in County Meath, but we do share that. Our journey has been has been quite similar. Um, but then you build relationships as well. You know, somebody like Padraig O'Sullivan, our own TD here in Cork. I would have been his director of elections in the by-election and he got re-elected in the general election. So we'd be quite friendly as well. So, um, yeah, look, you do build personal relationships. Um, but it's it's a kind of a sad thing. But in many ways, I, I don't think people make great friends in politics. Okay. You know, I, I don't think people generally do. I, I definitely have made friends. And if I was gone from politics tomorrow, I think I would hold on to those friends. But it's... Um, it's it, it can be it can be a cold and often calculating business. What's the purpose of the doll bar? Why is it still there? Do is the doll bar a place where you can have that wind down with the same as we all do on a Friday afternoon or Friday evening when we go out with our colleagues? Is, is um, that what it's for or I what is it it's for? Probably uh, it's a place of respite in some ways because the in non-COVID times, the rest of the Leinster House complex can be quite busy. You have groups in and out constantly. You have, you know, people who are lobbyists might be in for meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have tours in and out. So if you go into uh, the public bar or you go into uh, the, the restaurant, the self-service restaurant, you, you, you will be having chats. You will meet people and... Uh, you, you'll, you'll pick up problems, like to be frank, you will, certainly if you're a minister. So very often people go into the Dáil Bar uh, for lunch. You know, the, the alcohol is is only a part of, of what happens in the Dáil Bar. And that would be, you know, at night time, people might go in for a drink. Um, uh, I would only very, very rarely have the opportunity to do that. But generally people go in there, they, have, they might have their lunch, they might go in there, have their meal, go in there for a cup of coffee and have a chat. And uh, a lot of business gets done there. Okay. Backbenchers to ministers, um, they just ask you for a few minutes and sit down and have a chat and they know it won't be interrupted. And so I think it's it's a space where, uh, where uh, TDs and senators just won't get interrupted and they can do some business and look people will use it socially as well um and uh, that's part of life too i guess would you encourage your children to go into politics i would neither encourage nor discourage i would uh give them the facts i would and look they first of all you know they, they have been part of the journey and part of the experience so they have a fair idea what's involved and already a number of them are saying I'm never going into politics but at the same time one or two I think of a bit of a glint in their eyes so you never know and of course as they get older their, their views tend to change uh, I would I, I would just point out um, the positives which are that it is an enormous privilege uh, to be involved in public service to represent your community is it is an incredible honor and if you can get to a level where you can make a real difference and you can help people um it's fantastic like one of the one of the most rewarding things that i see when i go into my office every day is just one whole room is covered in thank you cards and i know that in behind each one of those is a personal story and we have changed lives for the better it might be a very simple thing but we have definitely changed lives for the better so i love all of that but there are there are sides to politics that i would also have to point out to them um you know you are going to get abuse um it's changed a lot in the 15 years i've been in the doll and there since 2007 social media certainly has changed it uh, at a personal level you don't have any um financial security career security you know you 
could be elected, serve a term, serve two terms. You might lose your seat through no fault of your own, uh, no fault of your own, uh, and you could be in no man's land. So they need to go into it with their eyes open. But I think we do need greater mobility in and out of politics. I'd like to see people coming into politics later in life as well, okay. who have life experience behind them and who have a contribution to make. But unfortunately, they just don't see it as attractive enough. People who are successful in all walks of life, you know, they often say to me, God, you know, I wouldn't mind serving in government or, but I just couldn't take the hassle of it. And that's a shame. Like we have to try and change that. So I think we, in the future, we will see political careers be shorter. I think okay. we'll see people maybe going in for a term or two and coming out. And I think we'll, we'll hopefully see people going in later in life, making a contribution and bringing their life experience with them. As a Cork man and as a, a Cork politician, it must bring a huge sense of pride to see what's going on here. The Docklands, CMATs, the changes we're going to see in the next decade to two decades. But there is shortcomings like the N25. I mean, that is so badly needed. It's it's nearly rendering the Bally Adams site useless because we don't have the right infrastructure going into it. Yet we wake up one morning, there's headlines everywhere that the funding is just not there for it. Is it hard, like, is it hard to separate yourself from an issue like that? And is an issue like that something that you would take very seriously? Uh, yes, I would. And, you know, first of all, I think you're right to say there's an awful lot happening. You know, there's a lot of investment coming into Cork and a lot more to come. The Docklands is really exciting. You know, the government is providing... Um, about 400 million between the Grand Parade and the Docklands. Very exciting development there. There's over a half a billion being spent between Dunkettle uh, and the um, McCroom Ballyvoney Bypass. Uh, the M28 is progressing, advanced works uh, now well underway. And I know there was a lot of disappointment with the uh, Carry Tool to Middleton motorway project. It's quite a short one, it's about five kilometres, but it is strategically important. And uh, TII uh, made the decision with the allocation of funding that they got from the Department of Transport that, that they weren't in a position to progress that project and a number of other projects around the country uh, at this time. I am going to meet TII and go through uh, with them what their, their spending profiles are, what their plans are in the coming years, because I do think that if we are committed to delivering a project in the medium to long term, it does make sense to allow it to continue to advance um, because we saw, you know, about a decade ago when there was very little money being spent on capital projects, projects stalled completely. And then when funding did become available, uh, they were way further back in the pipeline than they should have been. So I think it does make sense, even if you haven't got the large capital funding uh, to bring it to construction, just to keep it moving uh, through the system. So hopefully we can make some progress on that. But, but there's a lot happening. Politics aside, what's on your bucket list? What would you like to do? Oh, um, well, tr hopefully lead a fairly long and, and happy and healthy life is the first thing. Uh, definitely travel. You know, I didn't really travel when I was young. Uh, very much and yeah, I won't say it's a regret but like I went into politics at a local level at the age of 22 and you know pretty much every day since then politics has been my life um, and I love it and I'm going to be here for a while yet um, if I get the support of the, the people of Cork um, but definitely at some point uh, to see the world would, would, would be great. Anywhere um, in particular? Oh you know definitely uh, Australia um, Africa, South America, I definitely love to travel and, and see see the world. Um, I think that's something we should all do really before yeah. before we depart. And I haven't done much of it. But yeah, no, definitely, definitely travel. But look, the main thing is just not to take good health uh, for granted because uh, just every day, just so conscious of, of, you know, terrible stories that we see. Will we ever see you as Taoiseach, do you think? Oh, I don't know, Fiona. That's a that's a big question. I I think um, I think Michal is doing a great job, um, and I think he really handled COVID exceptionally well. I saw up close the personal commitment that he gave to it, uh, and continues to give to the job, and he's in the role now until until mid December, and then the Donishta will will take over. Look, who knows what the future holds? I I've never said I want to be Taoiseach and I'm gung ho going for it. But I've never ruled it out either. And I think I'm quite philosophical about life now. Who knows where any of us will be in a few years time? I could lose my seat. 
you know you just don't know so I'm not really but um, it has to be an ambition I mean it must be an ambition it's you know it has to be an ambition for even from a young age going to politics to visualize yourself in that role you have to have done it at some point ah yeah of course yeah and of course to serve as the Taoiseach of the country would be I mean just an honor that would blow you away but um yeah, I I genuinely don't obsess about it. I, I live for the moment. I got a great job. It's, um you know, such a privilege to be in the government and in a senior cabinet ministry. And uh, I'm just trying to do that job uh, to the best of my ability. And, you know, when the opportunity arises and when, and I think it is some time away yet, and I genuinely hope it is because I think Michal has a lot to offer yet, but when the, the issue of leadership arises, I, I will think about it very, um, very carefully and discuss it at home. And, you know, a lot depends on your personal circumstances. How much are you able to, to give? Can you give the full commitment uh, to it? Because that is a further step up again, you know, from what you're doing, even as a senior minister, to be leader of a party, to be a Taoiseach, um, does require you to give even more. And so that is that is a, a judgment call that would be made, um, you know, when the time comes. But I'm not ruling it in, not ruling it out. I'm going to okay. keep the option open. Fair enough. How many hours sleep a night do you get? Um, uh, sure, I'd, I'd certainly do with six or seven anyway, yeah. And what's a lie-in for the Minister for Public Expenditure. Uh, lions are gone, really. Um, yeah, I look at, I suppose, when I'm in Dublin, I work late. I Because I'm away from home, away from family. So I'd certainly be in the office until half 10, 11 uh, and head away back. And um, I rent a small, small little place. Really just put my head down there, watch a bit of news, go to sleep and get up and come in. So I don't always come in, you know, dog early as they say might come in at eight o'clock maybe earlier some days maybe half eight but come in because it's a long day then once you are in and um and then the weekends well look the kids are certainly up from half six on anyway what was the last time you like had a lie in till 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> um oh it's uh it's it's been a while yeah it's been a while that you don't really <laughs> get that opportunity it's it's just not Look, it's not fair to do it when you're back at home because I'm away a few mornings in the week. Now, when I am there, you know, I get up and I took them to school this morning and I just try and do as much of that as I can. So, um, yeah, you, you'll find out this very soon, <laughs> now, Fiona. So. I know everyone's telling me this, <laughs> find, uh, <laughs> that my lion yeah. days are going to be gone soon. Yeah, so, um, ah, no, but look think it's important you do it's important just to relax and, and we do relax yeah we we do try and get out for you know we try and get out on a Saturday night if we can okay go out for a bite to eat go out for a drink or meet friends um now we are seeing more functions and events starting yes. off again so there may not be as much opportunity but we do just enjoy getting the couple of hours just to talk to be honest you about know, life and just just uh, well catch up on things and yeah of course, a lot of it is talking about kids and who's doing what and what do we have on and, you know, planning and holidays and what are we doing. But um, but just to talk. Yeah, just to talk. Sarah started a new, a new job last summer as well. So she's having to invest a lot of a lot of time and effort in that as well. So um, we're just trying to keep the show on the road and, and hope that we, we continue to have good luck. What do you watch on TV? And I'm not talking about prime time. Now I know, or, I know. You know. And unfortunately, you know, beyond what we have to do, like when you have seven kids and you have, you know, the job I have, the kind of leisure time is very limited. The real downtime is very limited. So and I do feel that I have to stay abreast of the news. And if I miss it, I'll watch it back. You know, I generally do and try and keep an eye on the main shows and watch them back. Um, so we don't really... Get so you don't do Netflix? Too much. Uh, we do a little bit, but we're way behind. Like, uh, I mean, it's only in the last year or two we got to watch House of Cards and okay. we watched Designated Survivor. We watched that right through. Um, not stuck in anything at the moment. Um, just haven't had the time. Like the weekends are crazy busy. I mean, the amount of activities that the, the, the kids are involved in, which is great. Um, but it is from could be from 9 a.m. to 7, 8 p.m. You're you're on the go, um, ferrying them here and there. And so there's no time watching for their the, matches. So, um, the Peaky Blinders or the Tinder Swindler or anything like that on Netflix. 
Uh, Your no, kids probably fit in on them. them yeah, yeah, and I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. The older lads certainly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do see those things on, but I just, I try not to get drawn into them too much because you get stuck in them and then. I suppose I do love sport. I would sit down and watch a yeah. match. I would. Yeah. A match of the day and, you know, the Gaelic and, and hurling. I would sit down and watch a match. And I'm a, a suffering Man United fan, I'm afraid, Fiona, at the moment. <laughs> and uh, so, um, but yeah, really, really do enjoy sport. And I okay. would sit down for a couple of hours and watch, that's, that's watch sport. Thing. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, lots of different sports. And, um, uh, and yeah, just trying just try and talk at home as well. We sometimes just turn everything off. So look, we'll take an hour or two now and just turn everything off. Put away your phones. We're just going to have a chat. What are you really bad at at home? Like in terms of household chores? What are you, like is there oh anything God. you're just crap at? Uh, ironing. I'm afraid <laughs> I've never, never cracked that. I'm sorry, I know. Um, bad at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, awful at DIY. Are you? Awful. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd have been kind of no, handy at that now. No, no. Beyond a light bulb now and a few basic things, I'm pretty terrible, yeah. Really? Yeah, Is yeah. it just that you've never had time or just no interest? So, uh, no, I'm just bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least <laughs> so you're if honest. We get a, if we get a flat pack, um, you know, I, I'll be, I'll help. But looking at those drawings is just like looking at Chinese. Hopeless. But Absolutely you can manage hopeless. the finances and of the country, but you yeah. can't oh, assemble yeah, it. Yeah, but in school, even I was awful at uh, tech drawing and woodwork, metalwork. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we all have our, our strengths and uh, I certainly have my weaknesses, but uh, good to recognise them at least and, and not, uh, not try. I have one final question before we do a quick fire round. But if you won the lotto, would you give it all up? No. Oh, God, no. No, absolutely not. Uh, I love the job I do and uh, um, I don't even play the lotto. I'm not sure I, I can as the, I'm oh, the minister right. over the lotto. Oh, yeah. So I'm not sure that I can, but so I don't anyway. It would be okay. very odd if I was to win it. Or, um, yeah, it would be very odd actually. Yeah, wouldn't I didn't think yeah, about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I sit over that area of policy and, and the regulator and so on. So no, so that'll have to wait. Okay. So. Okay, I'm just going to do a quick fire round to say the first thing that comes into your head. Michael Healy Ray or Danny Healy Ray? Ah, that's a very unfair question. Now. I don't think so. But, uh, you just say the first but, thing that comes into your head. Uh, but what's the question? Michael Healy Ray or Danny Healy Ray, who would you pick? Uh, well, Danny, Danny would come into the, the bar and have a cup of tea. He drinks a lot of tea. So okay. I probably had more chats with Danny. I'd know Danny better. Um, but they're incredible workers. Perfect. But I, I would know Danny better. <laughs> Let me put it like that. I wouldn't know Michael as well. I'm not sure he ever sits still for more than five minutes, <laughs> but uh, but Danny does, and uh, and we do have to chat. Porky Cueve Musgrave Park. Um, well, I'd love to see Porky Cueve full a bit more, and I can't wait to get back there for for full matches. But I've been to Musgrave Park more in recent times, uh, for the the rugby, the twenties. Um, so no, I'm not going to pick one over the other. You love have to both. pick one. No, Porky Cueve Musgrave Park. I mean, look, a full house of Porky Cueve can't be beaten in Cork so of course I'd choose that okay, I'll allow um, that answer, but so. um, Musgrave Park great Text and Turner's Cross um, haven't got to a game yet this season now a text or a phone call a phone call favourite day of the week Friday favourite season spring would you prefer to be invisible or have a super strength oh sometimes invisible <laughs> <laughs> hurling or football uh, hurling to watch football to play what's the last gift you gave to someone um, it was uh, it was perfume have you ever wore socks with sandals sandals socks with sandals you no. know on holidays you see the dads with the no, socks and the sandals don't on wear sandals well, that's good I think your Even kids would holidays, be happy about no. that what are you having for dinner tonight um, I think tonight it could be salmon hopefully Godfather or Star Wars movie uh, Godfather coffee or tea tea all the way don't drink coffee Passage West or Cargilline <laughs> are you trying to get me sacked <laughs> Passage is where I come from and Cargilline is now home I'll leave you, you off will not get one, me so. to divide Passage and Cargilline uh, that's not going to happen Cork County Council or Cork City Council I live in the county pizza and beer or takeout and wine uh, um, I'd be prone to either now, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, 
Friday night would be maybe a pizza and a wine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, giving presents or getting presents? Ah. <sighs> We actually get quite a bit in the office, um, people who are really good. Um, I probably don't give enough, so I'm not great at giving, but I do do what I can. But yeah, I know people, we do get presents, small things like. What's the last book you read? Oh, it would have been, it would have been, um, I'm afraid to say it would have been work. I'm, I'm working through the Mark Henry book on, on Ireland in, in the last hundred years, um, which is, a great summary of of the achievements uh, of Ireland in, in the last century, which are far more than I think many of us would, would give credit for. So I'm working through that at the moment. Yeah. And finally, Michal Martin or Bertie Hearn? Well, Michal is the boss. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're... Uh, yeah, I served under Bertie briefly as a backbench TD. Uh, like I got elected in uh, May 2007. He was gone uh, a year later. But it's great to see him in operation. Um an incredible operator, um, you know, great with people, um, great canvasser. And uh, just to see the way he managed the party was was interesting. So I served under under three leaders. Um, and uh, but Michal is there now since uh, since 2011. And uh, we work very well together and um, he's very supportive and very, very good to me. Thank you so much, Minister, for Thank all you, your time.